Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name is Alex Gruskin. Joining you today on the second night of Hanukkah and happy Hanukkah out there to our Jewish listeners. Uh, I myself am Jewish and of course my usual co-host Max Rothman is as well. But unfortunately for you listeners, he ate a little bit too much gelt last night. For those who don't know, those are the little chocolate coins. And so he is not able to join us today. Filling in for him in the co-host role, a guy I am so fortunate to get to do the Crack Interviews podcast with. He is the CEO of Cracked Rackets, the founder and a guy who's got too much going on for any sane human being. It's Cracked Rackets, Dalton Thienem. And Dalton, hey, great shot. Hey, great shot. <laughs> oh my. The um, one well, time I, I, I let you on the podcast and that's what you go with. And Well, I was going to do the angelic voice that Rothman brings to the table, but I <laughs> knew I couldn't meet that quality. But I will say that I'm a big fan of chocolate coins a la Harry Potter. So, I mean, I don't know if that you know, keeps me in the loop or not. They're exactly the same as Harry Potter, just as magical. It's perfect. But we are so fortunate, Dalton, because I, you know, I like to prepare for these podcasts and knowing that you were filling in for the co-host role, I thought we should bring someone a little more tennis-centric. Of course, you're goofy, but, you know, someone who's really ingrained in the business. And so we are so fortunate today to be joined by freelance tennis writer for the New York Times and many other tennis publications. He is the co-host of the No Challenges Remaining podcast and a fellow University of Michigan alum. Pleased to welcome to the Great Shot podcast, Ben Rothenberg. Ben, hey, great shot. Thank you. Thank you for that. It was, it was a tremendous shot. And thank you, Alex and Dalton, for having me. No, of course. I mean, beyond anything else, I, I should want to start by saying I've been listening to the No Challenges remaining podcast for many years now. So to have the chance to get to have you join us on the pod is a dream come true for me. So again, thank you for coming on. Oh, no worries. Happy to be here. <laughs> I will start, though, by something we talked about a little bit before the podcast, before we get into our big topic of the day. Uh, I listened to the most recent episode of the No Challenges Remaining podcast, and to our listeners, subscribe to that podcast as well as this podcast, leave, rate, review. We want to hear all of your feedback. But on the most recent No Challenges Remaining, you said, and I quote, that for Alex Virev, if he doesn't win a Grand Slam till age of 25, he risks going down the Andy Murray pathway. You portrayed that as a negative picture, and for me, as a huge Andy Murray fanatic, that was devastating. Uh-oh. Well, I, my apologies to you and to Andy Murray and to anyone else who may have been uh, injured by that statement. I, I just think that Zverev is in—I compared it—I said Murray was sort of like a glass, you know— third full or quarter full whatever comparison to Djokovic which is still a door that I think is very much open to Zverev maybe even Federer too I mean Zverev I think both Djokovic and Federer won their first Grand Slams at 21 I'm saying off the top of my head I think or no maybe maybe Djokovic was 20 turned 21 later that year um and so you know you kind of get get in and those early ones count and getting an early start counts and and Zverev is I think too good of a talent and too much potential to be kind of in the sentimental everyone's rooting for him to stop being the lovable loser at some point in later in his career after he's had a lot of chances so uh no disrespect to andy murray who's one of my favorite people in tennis at all continues to be speaking out on all sorts of stuff on instagram today i don't know if either you saw talking about you know sexism in the sport again and raising that platform and just being a generally good dude uh in the sport and would have there's I, i absolutely no shade intended to andy murray even if he's career is not quite at Djokovic levels well first of all Dalton see I'm not the only Murray fan out there we exist there's a cult of us so I, I told you <laughs> <laughs> well I actually did see that on Instagram it was the um the winner on stage it was asked to twerk and he was like why do women still put up with that in this day and age and Gruskin um I just want to start by saying I would I will never stop asking you to twerk on stage but I'm going to do that for anybody well, I appreciate that. You've seen my work. But yeah, it is a, I mean, it, it's always <laughs> beneficial when athletes speak out when there's such blatant instances in this case. So I agree, commend Andy Murray as well. But I do want to say on the top of, 
topic of Alex Zverev. I felt so passionate about the take that, you know, he is the guy, the one guy who can maybe crack up the big four, can really, in 2019, disrupt the status quo on the ATP Tour, that I thought what we'd do today is break down the many next-gen prospects on the guy's side. You know, there are so many guys who broke through this year, whether it was at, you know, the Paris Masters with Karen Hatchinov, all the way down. Um, you know, to Alex Dimenuer, Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafo, even Nicholas Jerry knocking off Chilich in Shanghai. We saw so many instances of young guys breaking through that I wanted, you know, now that we're in the off season, we have a little time to reflect. I wanted to break these guys down into respective tiers, just so our listeners can know, you know, who are the guys we're highest on? What do we think their upsides are moving forward into the 2019 season? And the guy I want to start with, my only tier one prospect, and I should say I broke it down into four tiers. Uh, we'll give the criteria as we go along. But for tier one, these are players I think can be future Grand Slam champions, have the potential to be world number one, as I mentioned, break up that stranglehold on the Grand Slams that the big four and then, you know, Chilich occasionally, Warinka occasionally seem to have on tour. And the only guy I have in that category is Alex Zverev. Ben, I would ask you, do you agree he's really the only guy who fits tier one? No. I mean, in short term, he's the one who's the best chance of getting in there right away. But I actually had four guys from your list who I think have, like, tier one potential. Really? Yeah. I, I, I mean, the thing is, with with the next generation, they're going to be playing against pretty much only each other not that soon. And there's going to be – there's still going to be four slams a year and lots of opportunities to win them. And I think a bunch of these guys are going to be in the mix and have – you know, the very untested, unproven, you know, bona fides to be there. So I picked Zverev also. Um, I picked Karen Kachanoff. I'm a big fan of his. Um, I think that he he made a breakthrough in Paris, winning the Paris Masters, even though Paris has had a lot of pretty random champs over the years. But I just really like his physicality, his game. I think he'll continue to get stronger and be a good presence and be someone who can play really well in clay um and, and be a big serving guy as well he probably does, his game on grass from what i've seen has not worked all that well he kind of has a little too much shape on his shots for grass but um i like him over pretty much everywhere else at any other surface um i think sits to pass i mean if if tier one counts as being like he used the slight before like an andy murray would be a tier one then yeah i think that i think that sits to pass can be in that mix you know to be someone winning a couple slams being uh, someone who can be a threat on a lot of surfaces, who can get to number one if the factors are right. Uh, he's soared really quickly this year. He played probably too much of a schedule, uh, too heavy a schedule this year, so I wouldn't be surprised if he has kind of a slow start to 2019, but I would expect pretty big things from him. And then and then the fourth one I picked is Felix, uh, Oje Aliasime, who I think interesting. is... Interesting. That who is, I think okay. is, who's not even top 100 yet, so that's you know counting chickens way before they're even in the main draw. But um, his potential seems massive, and he's kind of even a wave behind the other guys, cohort generation-wise. So I like him a lot, and I think that he has definite potential too. Well, for me, the reason why the only guy I have in Tier 1 as Zverev is you look at him as a tennis player. There are just no glaring weaknesses. Does he not come to the net as much as I'd like? Yes. But he's displayed the capability to move forward, to make volleys. You look at how well he played at the ATP Tour Finals. You could tell he was gassed in that second set against Djokovic in the round robin. Yet for him to come back against Federer and Djokovic, play a much more aggressive style of tennis, it bodes well moving forward, and everyone knows Zverev can bang at the baseline with the best of them. I mean, for someone at 6'6", his movement is elite. Just the way he's able to get around a court, whether it's clay, which he's obviously won a couple Masters titles on. He seems very comfortable moving on that. Not so great on the grass right now, but as we've seen at the end of the year, he can serve as well as anyone, and you just seem to forget with Zverev He's 6'6". I mean, his serve can be so elite, and I just think that's why, to me, he is on his own tier in terms of a guy who could win, you know, double-digit grand slams if, you know, things go right in his career, he stays healthy, and I just don't see any other player of these young guys having that sort of capability. No, if there is a tier 1A or whatever, I mean, I think he is the leader of tier 1 to me, but I do think there are other guys, you know— in here who have the potential to be multiple grand slam champions and who can 
be in the mix. I mean, Courtney and I on NCR, I don't know if you heard of these episodes, back years ago, we used to talk about what we called the Ronich rule, which was that, <laughs> you know, if Milos Ronich stayed being Milos Ronich, eventually he would win Grand Slams because the bar for what it took to win Grand Slams would just go down after the big four left. And Ronich would be right there, ready to take them. And Ronich obviously has fallen off and didn't make one Grand Slam final, but um, has, hadn't, had, hasn't had the consistent health in order to be a contender there. But I think that will be even more accelerated once Federer and Nadal and eventually Djokovic, who's hanging on longer than the others, seems like, uh, are fully out of the picture. You know, th- these guys will be there ready. And I don't think Zverev um, is going to be winning, you know, consistently three slams a year. So I think there are going to be a lot of chances for other guys to break through meaningfully. And I think those those are a lot of other guys we're familiar with, probably. No, I, I completely agree with that. I do just want to throw out this. How much do these projections vary uh, dependent on how much Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic fall off the next couple of years, if at all? I think Djokovic can certainly delay the start of this. I mean, Djokovic can win, I think, three Grand Slams next year, and that wouldn't be, shock anybody. Um, I think that, and that would take away time from Zverev and from, I don't know if any of the others I mentioned are ready next year. Uh, we just don't see the kind of like lightning in a bottle ATP slam champ that much anymore at all. The only one who really has happened in the last, gosh, like 10 years has been, um, maybe, maybe Del Potro counts at the U.S. Open and, and then Chilich. But if it gets more open, if there are times when you have a bit of a WTA style slam for the ATP, which I feel like they're really overdue for. Um, then any of these guys, I think, can be the last one standing pretty quickly. Um, but I think Zverev is in pole position, but I don't think that he's going to be so, so dominant that the other guys aren't going to get a lot of looks. I mean, my last piece on Zverev would be, you know, he ends the year ranked number four. He's 58-19. and 19. He's got the four titles, City Open, Madrid Masters, Munich, and the ATP year-end. I mean, one of the few guys on tour who can say he beat Federer, Djokovic, Cilic, who... Yes, Del Potro was in probably that top four of guys in terms of guys who were there all year long. Those are really the three you look at, the the three who were there at the end of the year. He's the one guy who, as you mentioned, has displayed the level to win now. I guess that's why I have him in Tier 1 alone. You mentioned some other guys, Tsitsipats, and I should say we just call him Karen Kachinov. We try and get it as wrong as possible so that people yeah, understand. It, lean into those Ks. I think it's fine. I mean, like yeah. it's just how it's written. When he wins the U.S. Open someday because of his proficiency on the hard court, the announcer will say, and Karen Kachnov has won the U.S. Open. And that'll just be the entire <laughs> shtick. So, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll look good then. I mean, the reason I have those guys a tier lower, uh, let's start with Tsitsipas. Because for me, yes, you look at the breakthrough. Obviously, his run in Toronto, outstanding. Uh, he makes another final in Barcelona. He wins the next-gen finals, wins Stockholm at the end of the year. I just think physically, with movement being as important as it is and as important as it will be moving forward as the game continues to get more physical, I don't know if Tsitsipas is an elite mover. And you look at the guys like the Zverevs, the Kachnovs, I'll even throw Chorich and Dimenauer in that mix. Those guys move elite at an elite level, and I, I just... I don't know. I worry about Tsitsipas three out of five sets over two weeks, which I know is an argument we can get into later. <laughs> physically, that just seems... Di- I, it, it, I don't know yet if he projects out as a good enough athlete to survive that slog. That's fair. I mean, he hasn't made any huge slam runs. He made fourth round of Wimbledon this year, and that's the only second week appearance he's had so far. But he's only played like seven grand slams so far. So he does, there's true. not a lot of data on Tsitsipas at Grand Slams. I mean, he only made it, I think he made his main draw debut at Grand Slams uh, last uh, 2017 French Open. So he's still pretty new at, at that stage. And, and you're right. I mean, he hasn't been tested on that sort of stamina thing time and time again. Although he did show a pretty good amount of stamina, even if only in one week and only in best of three, stringing together that great string of matches he had in Canada, a couple of which, a couple of which were pretty physically demanding. Uh, beating Djokovic and then beating, winning a long one against Anderson. So I, I, I don't know if it's a huge weakness. I don't think of him as being slow when I think of him. I mean, he does use, like, he well, at least a while ago, I don't know if he still does, he always used the hashtag uh, sits fast. I think he was, <laughs> like, fast. And so um, maybe he is fast. Maybe he just thinks he's fast. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't think of him as being slow, per se. I think that he uh, still is sort of a work in progress, for sure. He doesn't seem to have quite the solidity in his game and the base that 
Zverev does. I mean, Zverev is one of those people when he looks on, just looks unbeatable in the same sort of, that sort of Djokovic style. Um, two-handed backhand might add to that impression, just being like really solidly grounded and very hard to knock off balance. And Tsitsipas is a little bit more throwing himself all around the court, kind of like a bigger, lankier Vavrinka. And he's very flashy. He's always diving now, which is probably going to break a rib doing sooner or later. Uh, so that doesn't help him. But I, I still think that he's he's somebody with a lot of potential. And another guy who people don't talk about being tall. I mean, all these guys at these next-gen type players are all like tall Russian speakers. It's kind of the same player in different clothes a lot of time. Um, and he's there in, in the mix. And I, I think that he's, I, I don't know, I don't, the argument against him, like I said, I do think he's going to have a not great 2019 based on just, I think, kind of surged so much so quickly in the last couple of years. But I still think long-term he's somebody who I can't totally write off and I think would will get his looks at Grand Slams. No, that's fair. And again, for me, the big divide between Tier 1 and Tier 2, and I affectionately call Tier 2, to quote Brad Gilbert, Marin Chilich County, uh, because it's guys who I think can, can slam, uh, contend for a Grand Slam, maybe one per year, and you know be in the top five consistently. But again, the difference between the Tsitsipas and Azvirev you look at Zverev on hard court, you look at him on clay, you look at him on grass, there's no place where his game can't succeed. Versus Tsitsipas, I just don't know yet. You're right, the sample size is still small. He had a tremendous year this year, jumping from 91 to number 15. He's 46 and 27 on the year. You know, He beats Djokovic in Toronto, one of the only times Djokovic loses in the second half of the year. Um He's really good. There are a lot, like you mentioned, a lot of these guys are really, really good. For me, probably my second half star of the year. If you were to divide the most improved player into two halves, as opposed to give it to for the totality, for me it would have been first half Hyun Chung, second half Karen Kachanov, and of course Tsitsipas gets it for for the full year, but. I don't know if there was a more impressive young guy in the second half of the season than Kachanov. He was just the one guy who seemed physically fit enough to last what was a grueling 2018 season. One of the things that impresses me most about Kachanov is how he owns Isner, which I just think is a really <laughs> impressive. Which is a really impressive thing to do at that kind of young age, when you're not someone who's known as being like a big returner. It's not like it's. A, he's not a Djokovic-style player, per se, or someone who you'd think, oh, yeah, this guy will match up really well against Isner. Um, but I've seen him beat Isner. I've watched three... I think he's beat him three or four times. I was at the match he played at French Open a couple years ago when he when Isner probably expected to win and lost there. And, and it's just been... That shows to me, even though it's not... I think it's just a really good sort of barometer for where a young player is at, that he's solid enough, that he, like, is confident and consistent against Isner, who's exactly the kind of player who lower-ranked players don't often beat and higher-ranked players can beat pretty routinely. And so for Karen to be on the right side of that dividing line, I think it's really, really My version of that is Robin Hassa. Hassa is the litmus test for me for these young guys. That's a lower bar than Isner, though. Well, that's That's very true, and we are in Tier 2. But I'm saying, for I mean, a lot of these guys are under 21, and so I'm not expecting them to be top-five players immediately. You talk about FAA. You know, for him, when he beats a Luca Pui, that's not Isner, but still, that's so intriguing. Mm-hmm. And so, I, yeah, I, I agree. A lot of these guys, so impressive. For Kachanov, as you mentioned, it's not only the physicality, and I think you talked about this with Courtney as well, the fact that he is a bigger guy, and yet in that match against Nadal at the U.S. Open— he seemed to track down everything. There is no quit in him. The guy's physically gifted. He can last, you know, a physical match. The U.S. Open heat didn't seem to get to him. And then, like we seem to be saying for all these guys, guys, 6-4, huge serve, huge forehand. He's got the weapons. There's a lot to like about him, and his floor just seems so high. Yeah. No, I mean, I, Kachanov's built more like a hockey player than a tennis player. <laughs> and 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 he and he just has that kind of core strength that seems I think will really serve him well. And just seeing, I remember I remember thinking in that match he played against one of the many five setters that Zverev played the French Open this year was against Kachanov. I remember thinking that like Kachanov, when it comes down to just you know physicality, Kachanov's going to be one of the best of this generation. Which is another thing, another guy we haven't mentioned uh, who's a little bit older. Uh, it was on your list though. Uh, Chorich also is going for him. He's going to be with somebody who can physically grind down some of these no. other. Uh, more slender players who are in this generation. Completely. Kachanov's got the face of Thor and the body of a hockey player. That's pretty good odds for him to succeed. 
That may or may not be the title of the podcast here, what's up, so uh, write that down. Uh, I, one point I do want to point out before uh, we get going here, I think it's super um, easy to take note of these players' physicality, uh, their current games, trajectory, and ceilings as, as players at 19, 20, 21. Uh, but what's very underrated is their personality and maybe some mm-hmm. distractions um, or what they don't have going on off court. Uh, can you guys talk a little bit about that and which one of these players um, really stands out to be focused and in it for the long haul? That's a tough thing to know. I mean, early, I mean, a lot of them have had flashes of both good and bad. I mean, Zverev gets a lot of points for his intangibles and hiring Jez Green, who's Andy Murray's former trainer and working with Lendl now. I mean, writers, British writers especially, loved writing about Lendl during the Murray days, so they're going to praise him a lot for moving, making that move and having it pay off in London. That's a very easy narrative. But at the same time, he kind of also has mentally checked out of a few slams and taken some bad losses he shouldn't have. Uh, and so that maybe counts in their direction. I mean, there is a, that is a factor for me for, on the negative side, the one who I think gets the lowest sort of score or most affected for that, obviously Kyrgios is obviously the poster boy of that. But the other one on the list is Tiafo, who just seems to have sort of had a lot of chaos in his career pretty early on. He's changed management companies like three or four times, and he's only 20 or 21. Um, yeah, he, he just seems to not be settled in yet in a way that I think he needs to be to really gain roots. Uh, another one who I think is definitely very strong in that category is probably Demonar. Seems to have an incredibly good head on his shoulders and just be very solid and very professional through and through. No, absolutely. I, I think the other thing to point out is you look at the success of both catch or of all three of Kachnov, Medvedev, and Rublev. Having that class of fellow Russians to train with guys who were born right around you, I think, has proven so beneficial. Uh, you see it similarly with guys like Fritz, Tiafo, Opelka, Michael Moe, who, while not making the the jumps as big as some of the guys we've talked about, um, have continued to progress well. Um, you know, we, we've kind of skipped over the tier one, uh, but getting into tier two, uh, I have seven, or I should say we've already gotten into tier two, but I have seven guys in my tier two. These are guys who, as I mentioned, I think can be contenders for Grand Slams, um, be in the top five, but again, don't have quite that sphere of upside. How many guys do you have, Ben? Six. Six. Okay, I imagine we have some overlap here. So you have Tsitsipas, Kachnov, and FAA, and I mean, well, those were all my. T- those were all tier ones for me. No, those guys. Th- I was going to say just to recap. So those are your yeah, tier yeah. ones. In tier two, guys, I have to imagine we have overlapping. Borna Chorich. Yep. All right, let, let's get into him real quick. Why to you? Because I have Chorich as the same level as a Kachnov. I think they had similar seasons. What to you is the difference between those two types of players? I think Kachinov's just a little bit better at playing offense than being assertive. I think I think Chorich is kind of naturally more of a defender and has to sort of fight himself to be a more aggressive player. Uh, and I always sort of pick offense over defense long-term. Uh, Chorich has, has improved and has, has shown to be a pretty really good physical five-set player. He's become a Davis Cup workhorse early in his career in best of five, which I guess is no longer a thing in, in Davis Cup. But uh, he's he's been a rock-solid player there and, and has shown an ability early in his career to match up well against the top guys. I mean, he beaten it all very, very early in his career. He has beaten pretty much, I think, everybody in the big four at this point. Or maybe he hasn't played, I don't know if Djokovic has beaten yet. But he's gotten good wins over a lot of top players early on, which shows a lot of belief, and, and he just seems comfortable in kind of finding himself. And he's also somebody who I think is another very professional, incredibly hardworking guy. Um, in terms of catching off, I just think catching off is just a little bit, everything's just a little bit bigger with catching off. The, the serve is bigger. The ground stroke power thing is bigger. Not quite as good a mover, but I think that he just has, his game I just find a little more imposing than Chorich. I agree with you there. In my The reason in my tier two, I have Kachanov as number two, Chorich number three. I just think Kachanov has a go-to combo in that his serve plus a forehand can win him so many points. Chorich does have to work a little bit harder, and as much as I love his backhand, you know, as much as I love his movement, his flexibility around the court, and the fact that he seems to have embraced the bigger moments towards the end of the year, you know, he makes that final in Shanghai, does well, U.S. Open fourth round, you know, makes a third round at Roland Garros, Indian Wells semis, Miami quarterfinals. 
I agree. Sometimes he just it, it gets a little bit too hard for him out there. He's got to start slapping his forehand, going for things he probably shouldn't. Still, there's a lot to like. My number four guy, and you mentioned him a little bit earlier, Nick Kyrgios I have in tier two. Mm. And earlier in the year, I had him tier one. Now I've knocked him down a peg. Uh, is he in your tier two, Ben? No. No, He's a tier. Kyrgios is tier three for me. Oh my think, gosh! Run me through I just that. Think, I just think Kyrgios is so chaotic, and I like Kyrgios a lot, and I think Kyrgios can absolutely win a slam. And I just see him having like a dream run where everything comes together, and maybe that would be enough to get him from top five, depending on what kind of ranking he comes in with. But you got to be consistent to be a top five player, and he's just never going to be that. Like that's just not his personality to ever sort of be a consistent solid you know slow burning flame he's always gonna be really hot and cold i think or you know maybe maybe he could have a whole hot year and get up there but in terms of where he's gonna put up long-term residence i just see him being much more of a sort of uh 11 through 25 kind of guy so i always think he's gonna have highs and lows and the upside's always gonna be big but there will always be you know a bit of a bit holding him back in one category or another so there's no world where curios uh gets it all together things start clicking and he becomes a mature version of himself long-term. Well, if I may, I think there is that world, and that's why I have him in my tier two, because as you mentioned, when Nick Kyrgios is locked in, I mean, the guy is a top five talent on tour. He's right up there with, you know, the big four, Zverev, and then probably Kyrgios in terms of just the way they can dominate a match. You know, when Nick Kyrgios doesn't want to be broken on serve, he cannot be broken. And to have that sort of elite trait, it it means something. I mean, this guy is born, what, 1995? That's the same year I was born. I don't consider myself a finished product, and I hope he is far from it as well. I think that mm-hmm. world certainly exists. Now, of course, he's dealt with injuries, and as you mentioned, there's a ton of chaos, but still, the guy's not even 24, 25 yet. And if the litmus test, as we've had this whole pod, is, well, Murray didn't win a slam till 25, but <laughs> I think that's very obtainable for curious i think that's a very there's a as you mentioned an outcome where he comes into an australian open one year healthy confident and determined and he just has a magical two-week run and because he's capable of that that's why he gets the nudge into my tier two i get like i said i think he's a tier three or who can still win a grand slam i think he's in this sort of category where he'll always have the potential, or he can have the potential for a while. Maybe we'll, dis- maybe if at some point we'll give up on his potential. The way I think people have kind of given up on Bernard Tomic's slam winning potential at this point. Oh, you're but- again. That's another guy. I, he, I hit next to him once in Cincinnati. Therefore, I can never give up on him. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, but no, I think I think I want I want this for Curious. I really want Curious to do well for the sport. Curious is just so much fun, and so it's so much better for the sport when he's relevant. I just. I mean, in terms of Murray, I think Murray's the, and I know that you weren't saying like liter- that comparison literally, but Murray's the opposite of Kyrgios. That Murray is just the ultimate workhorse. His career and his every offseason is like one long Rocky montage. And Kyrgios, <laughs> like this year, went through like playing all these tournaments he shouldn't have played. He played hurt the entire year and was kind of half one foot in, one foot out the whole time. And never really committed and, and kind of wasted an entire year of his career. I mean, after he won Brisbane and had a really good start to year in, in Melbourne had a pretty good looking run to the fourth round and played a very serviceable match against Dimitrov and kind of went out with his head held high and with a lot of respect from the hometown crowd and the home media. They were all really happy with what Kyrgios was able to do. You know, after that, it was kind of a complete nothing and he should be better and he should have be learned. He's been on tour as a relevant player, even though he's still young for a lot of years now. And he, he's not, doesn't seem like he's learning at the speed I would expect. What do you think about a Nick Kyrgios Marat Safin comparison? He's the poor man's Marat Safin. Uh, walk me through that. I don't, oh, I don't well, immediately see that. I, I, just the aggression, the ability to dominate on your best days. Now, of course, when I saw Safin, I was six, seven years old, so bear with me. Um, mm-hmm. But just in, in terms of the forehand, the fact that he can rip a winner from any position, the fact that... No, he's not the most you know the most graceful mover, but he can certainly get the job done. His explosion all around the court, the willingness to move forward, the willingness to just on a whim be aggressive. Be aggressive. That trait is unique amongst tennis players, or amongst tennis players, just not many guys have it. And again, a locked in curious clearly does. 
Maybe. I, I just see Kyrgios as being just like, I see Safin almost more in a build of a catching off in terms of just being a solid, you know, strong guy. And maybe he had a little, has a little more mischief to his game than catching off does. Um, but Kyrgios, I don't know. I see Kyrgios almost more, I don't, I don't think there's ever been a player quite like Kyrgios, really, that I can think of an easy comparison to him in terms of someone who is just so incredibly talented and just the best shot maker. Um, but if it's just, if it's both players at their best and they're going toe to toe, and it's deep in a slam, and he's against a fully formed Zverev or a fully formed Kachanov or a fully formed Djokovic. I just don't see Kyrgios, or even a couple steps ahead of where he is now, being able to win those sort of you know who blinks first contests at a Grand Slam level. I just I don't know that he's ready for that. And I think a couple times he has gotten deep in slams or made quarters. He hasn't been competitive in those quarters. You're you're absolutely right. I mean, we saw at this year's U.S. Open the way he just folded against Federer. I remember in my uh, U.S. Open bracket, I predicted this was the curious time to beat Federer. You know, Federer didn't have the best end of year. He ends up losing to Milman, obviously, the next round. Mm-hmm. But Kyrgios just kind of wasted that opportunity. And so you're right. It, it's incredibly frustrating to watch him. I think for Australian tennis fans, they they must be very happy because they were treated to Alex Dimenauer, who's number five on my list. Um, I see him as a guy just because he's so quick. The floor, again, is so high. And he may not be as big as these other guys on this list, but... This man does not quit on a ball. I, I think he has that potential to maybe win a Grand Slam on a hard, hard court one day, just be the guy who's the fittest at the end of the two weeks. Um, do you have Dimenauer in your second tier? I do, uh, very confidently. He's a very easy second tier pick for me. I think, you know, you always kind of need, are you? Sh- I, one hopes that you have a really elite defender in any sort of generation to create those sort of contrasts and just him matching up against almost anyone else in this list is a really intriguing battle of contrasts right away. And he has the goods. I mean, what he did at the U.S. Open this year against Chilich was really incredible. That was one of the best matches of the year. Uh, and I think that he, and he's played really well in home soil early in his career, uh, both in Brisbane and Sydney this year. And so I think he's going to, he's someone who really has a lot of positive energy, seems to have a really good support base, seems to have avoided whatever sort of, ne'er-do-well plague it's been on the continent of australia for the last you know 10 years in terms of their development and their juniors going awry i mean even tomich and uh curious are the least of it compared to oliver anderson or compared to jessica uh i mean there's other guys who've gone way off the rails and uh damonar has been so solid he's spent a lot of time outside australia which might be helping and yeah I, i i think really highly of him i think he can absolutely be like a better version results wise of a ferrer i think he can definitely fill that role no, definitely. And it's it's interesting because for me now in Tier 2, my last three guys are all guys who didn't win an ATP title this season. I mean, again, you talk about Dimenuer, the big concern, as proficient as he is on defense, as great as he is from turning you know, a shitty drop volley into an easy passing shot for himself. He doesn't have that big weapon. He doesn't have the serve he can rely on. He can't just smack every forehand off the court at will. But that being said, the relentlessness, he's 46 and 28 on the year. He jumps from number 208 to number 31. Uh, he makes three ATP finals in Sydney at the City Open and then the next gen finals, if that counts. Uh, you know, he, he makes Wimbledon U.S. Open round of 32. Had Chilich on the brink at the U.S. Open. If if you're checking off boxes in terms of things you want to see from young guys as they're progressing, he checked off every box this year. The, uh, another guy whose floor just seems a little bit high. It just is. It's high enough to where you know this guy is going to be a successful tennis player. It's it's interesting because if you would have asked me at the French Open if I would have had Alex Dimenauer above Hyun Chung, I would have said absolutely not. You know, two guys, both relentless, both can attack you from the baseline with their ground strokes. But in this instance, after the full year, I have Hian Chung number six, right under Dimenauer, but still in my second tier. Is Hian Chung there for you? No. Chung is a tier three for me. I was very underwhelmed by everything Chung did the last two thirds of this year, honestly. Oh my um, god. This is our first big disagreement because I, I am all in on the Chung bandwagon. I think the stat that points you said out he's to me bo- enough, you said he's bottom of tier two. He's kinda of top of tier three for me. I don't know if it's that big. <laughs> that's that's true, but I guess what I'm saying is I get frustrated when people mention the the latter half of the year. Yes, he was bad, but if you're looking for 
things to take away from the 2018 season. Hyun Chung's early part of the year, his hardcore stretch. I mean, he makes seven ATP quarterfinals on the year. I think six of them were before, you know, in that first half. He goes Australian Open semifinals, Indian Wells and Miami quarterfinals. Loses, I think, to Tiafo in Delray Beach, which is not a great result, but still was just you could see him in every quarterfinal. I think he is going to be an elite hardcore player. And I think because of that, assuming he's able to stay healthy, you know, hard courts are half the season when you're that good on the hard court, as I think he was at times this year, the the floor, which seems to be the argument I keep coming back to, is just so high for a player like him. I, I You could be right that I just have a lot of doubts that crept in seeing him kind of struggle in a few different ways later half of this year. I mean, the injuries were cropping up for sure. Injuries took him out. It was, a I guess, a blister kind of thing, which is not a typical injury that derailed him in Australia. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, and I think that seeing what Djokovic did after that Chung loss in Indian Wells in Miami kind of devalued that win for Chung in my mind, which maybe isn't fair. Uh, but I, 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 I'm not totally sold. I'm still kind of holding and waiting and seeing on Chung. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to be furious at you picking him tier two, but I think look, for I me, will I'm sell just, I'm you not my... quite there yet. I will sell you my FAA stock, and I will take your Chung stock. All right. We can we can make a trade. I like it. Um, I I don't know. I just think for Hyun Chung, again, the, the physicality he showed, you're right. It wasn't the best Djokovic, but it was still a good Djokovic. I believe he beats Alex Zirov in the Australian Open as well. That was another great mm-hmm. match. I mean, the Chung backhand is elite. It, it is. He can go down the line. He can step up, rip it early. Um it's, it's, you know, the forehand's a little wristy. I don't like how he lets the ball come into his body, but still, you know, toe blisters aside, seems very physically gifted. That's why, to me, if you said he's going to make the second week of the Australian Open and the U.S. Open every year for the next six years, I would believe you. I think that's a very possible scenario. And so that's why yeah, I, I hope, have him. I hope you're right. I like watching him a lot. I just, I just see... I see just a couple a couple question marks to not quite put him in that kind of I see tier two as being like I'd be a little surprised if you don't make uh top five or you know right around there and are really in the mix sure that's fair and then my last guy in tier two a guy I may have a little bit low and I know if Max Rothman was here he would be very upset that I don't have him higher Dennis Shapovalov is my last guy who gets into tier two yeah he's in my tier two also a- am I too low on him I mean, explain. I don't. I don't think that necessarily you are. I think that Chapo is, you know, is is a very kind of well-rounded player and can do a lot, but doesn't have, and and is a lefty and has a couple interesting sort of differentiators for him in this group. Uh, but nothing's guaranteed, and he doesn't have quite the um, steadiness of maybe the other guys or the clear. He's not as big as them, which is ridiculous. Because he's not a small guy at all, but. Um, yeah, I had him. I would never. I would never have made him a tier oneer, but he was very solidly tier two for me. Oh well, I have a known bias against one-handed backhands, so that that should be phase one. And uh, you know, if we want to get into Roger Federer and why I'm ready to move on from Federer, we can another time. But for me, the big issue was I just wasn't impressed with Shapovalov on the clay this year. I know he had the good run in Madrid, but outside of that. Round of 16 uh, in Italy at, at Rome, which is pretty solid, but second round loss to Martyr at the Roland Garros, first round loss in Budapest, first round loss in Monte Carlo. I'm just not sold yet on Shapovalov on clay, and because of that, I guess, I, I, I guess that's why I have him lower. As opposed to, you know, the Chungs and uh, all the guys I have ahead of him. Yeah. So you have two guys, I have two guys, or three guys, actually, in Tier 2 who you have not named. Oh, all right. Give me give me your last couple. All right. So my top Tier 2 are who I'm incredibly high on and um, would not make a Tier 1, but I really think this guy's upside is huge because he is also just huge. Is ben, why can guy. I, why, not to cut you off, but why can I tell that this is going to be the hottest take of the episode? <laughs> I think it should be, right? No, I think I think you know I think Riley Opelka will contend for slams. Hold on, like, that is not. Uh, sorry, that is not. He is in my tier two and a half, and I have due to injury, he gets another year to decide before I place him effectively. I so agree with you. Okay, good. 
no, he's solidly tier two. I, I, I kind of don't need to see more from Apelka to be sold. I mean, like, obviously he's done, he's played almost nothing at tour level and uh, has no Grand Slam wins, I believe. But he, just like the raw talent he has and being, I mean, you can't teach seven feet tall and no one else is going to get there height-wise. And he, I just think he's like Isner with a more solid all-around game. And look how far Isner has gone. I, I talk about Isner the same way people talk about Ferrer in terms of being an overachiever for his size. I think like Isner was given this kind of ridiculous body and made the best of it and made this incredibly ungainly frame work in tennis. And I think that Opelka is doing, and for the big guys, it takes them a lot longer to break through. If you look at Isner and you look at Karlovich, both of them can be pretty clearly late bloomers in their career. And Kevin Anderson, who's 6'8", also in that category. And that Opelka is already the top 100 by the time before he turns 21, I think, is really big to me. And I think that he has um, what it takes to absolutely win a couple Wimbledons and be sort of an old-style, you know, 90s kind of serve-dominant player. And it'll depend a lot on how the conditions in tennis go, whether the game keeps slowing down, whether it speeds back up, what the balls are like, what the rackets are like. But Opelka is going to be on an extreme end of, like, the person who benefits from a certain kind of conditions. And if it's playing that way and serves win the day, then I think he wins the day almost every time. Oh, I, I cannot agree with you more. You look at his run at the end of the year, uh, wins Knoxville Challenger and Champagne Challenger back-to-back. We'll probably get into the Australian Open now on his own rankings as he's at number 100 right now, and that shouldn't fluctuate too much before the US or the Australian Open draws come out. Um, yeah, this guy had mono during the summer, the hardcore season, which for a seven foot young American, that's going to be his best time. As you mentioned, the ground strokes seem more refined than Isner's even already at this stage of his career. And mm-hmm. my hot take about Opelka is as good as his serve is, it's really not that good yet. Like he no, does it, not, room, make, yeah. yeah, it can definitely get better. And that is just a scaring, pro- a scary proposition because you know, first he learns to serve. He's already teaching himself to serve and volley, and he's not the best first volleyer, but he is certainly improving. As you mentioned, Isner, Anderson, guys who were late, Karlovich, late bloomers. I, I agree. Opelka at Wimbledon in five years is, it's a scary proposition. And I, I do want to go on a quick tangent here. We haven't talked about any of the other young Americans in any depth, but is Riley your number one guy in terms of how high you are on their futures of the young Americans? I think he's the biggest upside. I mean, I think that he is going to, like Isner, I mean, Isner didn't have a totally linear career progress. Not that anyone really is always linear, but I think he's going to possibly be kind of a tortoise who you know doesn't necessarily develop and break through and have make a slam quarterfinal next year than year after that or something and i could see someone like a fritz doing that sooner but uh, i think opelka long run just has the massive massive upside and so he's the one with the biggest potential and he seems on track to get there you know assuming he stays healthy and everything and keeps working the right way uh but he but he's not the short term i wouldn't necessarily think that he's going to have the best results right away but long term I'm very all in on on Riley. It's just really interesting how one year later, you know, last year the guys were Escobedo and Donaldson who had cracked the top 100 and were firmly in. Now we're talking about the 97s, Opelka, Fritz, uh, Tommy Paul. It's just interesting how quickly, you know, the wins change. We'll get, I have, you know, Fritz and Tiafo later on in my list, so I do want to talk about them more later. But in terms of those other tier two guys, who do you have? Well, Fritz is one of them. Fritz is my last tier tour really? who i think i and, and this is and this is this is what i'm sort of least sure about in the whole group i just really like fritz's game i think his game is so um aesthetically pleasing and he's almost maybe the closest thing this even though he's a two-hander the closest thing this generation has to a dimitrov in some way to me which doesn't totally make sense when i say it out loud but i just think he's just like really sort of elegant ball striker who's just aesthetically really sound and technique is really good and he competes pretty well and and he and he's someone who i watched a lot of in juniors he played uh three junior slam final two or three i mean maybe he made two finals and french open i think wimbledon semis and french semi he lost to riley there i guess and and he yeah but seeing him kind of fill that role of being the alpha of his generation in juniors and he wore that pressure really well 
Like, not that he'll necessarily get the chance to be a top seed at a Grand Slam at the main level, but I think that he's not someone who shrinks on the big stage. I thought he played really well in a couple big matches this year, especially against team at the U.S. Open. He had him. He had team on the brink. He had him on the totally. brink. He can serve his way out of any situation. Totally. And so I, I think Fritz is, is on the lower end of Tier 2, but he's better than a Tier 3 for me based on your definitions. And I think he can absolutely make a slam semi or two or three or five and just kind of be in the mix of somebody who is there and solid uh and it it could work out for him he's still really young he's got you know a lot going on in his personal life he has a kid already so he's got a few things that might have slowed him down more than he would be otherwise but he's even despite all those possible distractions he has been pretty good at getting back on track in his early career and that speaks really really well of him and then I think the last it's interesting. One, yeah, it's interesting though that Medvedev, Fritz, Kachanov, all young guys, all married. Yeah, it's, the Russians marry really young, which is confusing to me. I don't entirely understand that. Fritz is kind of the outlier there. I guess he did have a kid, um, but yeah, the Kachanov being married. I remember Kachanov was playing Isner and was married before Isner got married, which was just sort of <laughs> was sort of odd. Um, but but yeah, I mean those are. I guess it's it's as a cultural thing that I don't totally know. No, real quick, I, I think Kachanov, not only will he be married first, I think he'll also win a Grand Slam before John Isner. But that may be another topic. Maybe. I mean, I think Isner's not not totally unrealistic as a person who can, if if 2019 goes a sort of chaotic way and Federer and Nadal, you know, continue some of their decline from the later part of this year and kind of more or less flop in 2019, whatever that looks like by their standards... I think Isner's a guy who can be in the mix. I mean, he could also have a letdown year too, but I'm not, I, Isner has a much smaller window, but Isner winning a grant, I think Isner's more likely in 2019 than catching off, maybe, or just as likely. That's interesting. I guess my hope is that, or not my hope, I don't know if it's a hope. I uh, will go with my hope, actually. I do hope this happens, is that should that decline continue, it'll be the Zverevs, the Tsitsipas, the Kachanovs who filled that gap. Of course, in Isner and Anderson, Nishikori hasn't been what it's def- been this year, though. I mean, like you, could, you had Isner and Anderson being the two new guys in London, the two London debuts this year, and they are both in their well into their thirties. But my counterpoint to that would be, to these players, Friends is a Netflix hit, not an NBC sitcom. And so I, I guess, it, it, you know, these guys are so young. Give them another year. You know, Medvedev, they're all 20, 22. I think Ed, Kyle Edmund, who I have on this list, is the oldest at 23. You know, those guys are taking a bigger, or at least I'm projecting them to take a bigger jump. You just look at the way all of these guys came on at the end of the year. I think a jump from them is more likely, I, I suppose, than Isner or Anderson sustaining this level. I would love to take a quick second to praise that Friends plug given today <laughs> that uh, Friends would no longer be on Netflix. But <laughs> it's interesting. I've like I just completely tangent off that. Like Friends was on when I was in high school, and it was popular <laughs> then. I don't think it holds up that well at all right now. But like people in kind of your generation seem to be discovering it and loving it now. And I no, I, I completely agree with you. I mean. Yeah. I've I I think Ross is the dumbest character. If I ever met someone like Ross, I'd be like, dude, just shut up. Like this, why are you, re- relax, my guy. Um, Doctor Geller, you mean? <laughs> Doctor Geller, yes, and Mister Rothenberg. That's the next friend series. Uh, my other, my last tier two, or who we haven't mentioned, is Rublev. Ooh, um, I think Rublev just can hit the absolute shit out of the ball, and is somebody who can be kind of in the mix. Is sort of the closest thing. If if it all goes right, can be I'm trying to think of who maybe like a I don't want to say Del Pocho, but someone just really slappy who can kind of <laughs> maybe even maybe even like a Vavrinka who's like but like built the opposite of Vavrinka who can famously I'm sure you've seen like the side by side gif of like Vavrinka breaking his racket over his knee and Rublev trying and failing to do the same <laughs> thing. Um, and, what about like a, a prime Verdasco? I go higher than that. I mean, Verdasco, Verdasco had a very short prime that would get him into the category that I think Rublev can be in. Um, That's true. But in terms of the game style, just guys who will hit you off yeah, the court. No, people who will just rip the ball completely yeah, all the time. Yeah, exactly. he, it's sim- similar ball bashing kind of player, for sure. Um, but I think that Rublev, Rublev mentally seems pretty solid to me, much more than Verdasco, who never had that side of his game at all. And uh, he, he was another guy who was another junior number one. And I do think that kind of... I. I 
do see that as something that bodes well for your ability to be a champion later in your career too, to have that kind of foundation. Uh, yeah, so he's somebody, like I said, I think, I think the wealth is going to be at this point very early on. I can see the wealth being pretty evenly or not evenly, but pretty deep spread around. And so that's why I have this many guys from your list. I think I have a much fuller tier one and tier two than you do overall. Yeah, uh, you're optimistic. You you've seen more than I have. You 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 know this is well. This I don't is know if New being York Times is, difference. This is I don't know if optimism comes from seeing more. Probably the opposite does. I mean, I think it's easier to <laughs> give up on people because I mean because I was you know I was writing about the sport when people were talking about how many Grand Slams Dimitrov would win, you know, and how many Ronich and Nishikori, and that was going to be it. That was the guys were going to be. Number one, two, and three in, in 2018. And none of that happened. And so, you know, you can you can get jaded pretty quickly from the hype after seeing a couple of failed waves of it. Well, I think my version of being jaded is the fact that I only have Zverev in Tier 1 because I've seen him win Masters events. You know, Hatchnov winning Paris aside. Paris is, you know, Jack Sock won Paris last year. So yeah. you always take the Paris Masters with a grain of salt. But Zverev's the guy who's delivered on the Masters level before. He's the guy who, I do, if I'm not trying to get my hopes up about everyone, he's the one guy I'm putting all of my chips in, and that's why I have him on top. But yeah, you, you raise a very excellent point. Um, you know, in terms of my Tier 3, I actually have Rublev at the bottom of that. Now, that may be recency bias, and of course, because these guys haven't played as many seasons on, eight, on the ATP Tour, the sample size is smaller, but for Rublev... He goes 20 and 23 on the year. He was out from the end of April until the end of July, was 11 and 8 before the injury, made that early final in Doha, made the Australian Open third round. Um, he, he made two quarterfinals before the injury as well. Yeah, you're right. He's a guy who, when he's on, he can certainly win any match, and it's a good reason to project him higher. He also is a former world junior number one. We've seen you know success from him throughout his career. You worry because he is physically a little skinnier, and you just have to wonder when you're hitting the ball that hard at that size, how is your body going to hold up? Mm-hmm. But but I but I don't hate the inclusion of him in tier two. I mean, I think the difference between a lot of these guys is negligible. You know, it's so small. I'm gonna let you guys finish, but I think we'll give our listeners a break uh, for the time being. Wrapping up the first two tiers of next gen players. Now we'll save the third tier and the rapid fire segment that you guys love so much for next week, uh, and that will be a second podcast that we'll release for you guys. Ben and Alex, stay right there. We have plenty more to discuss, but for you listeners, um, tune back in next week to catch the rest of the episode. Until then, hey, great shot. See you next week.